Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. Welcome to The Chosen People, The Chosen People Ministries radio program. And I hope that you've been listening to our series on Romans 1.16 and on the Abrahamic Covenant. We've covered some fascinating ground, and uh, we're not finished yet. We have this week and next week, and we'll be talking more about God's plans and purposes for the Jewish people. And again, we have a booklet that you can order. Uh, We'll tell you how later in the show. But I hope that every one of you will get a copy of God's plan and purposes for the Jewish people. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion about God's plan for the future and maybe make a little more headway in defining the Jewish people's relationship to God today and tomorrow. Joining me is my good friend Bobby Walter, who leads our Brooklyn branch in our New York area. So welcome, Bobby, and God bless you, and hope you're doing well, brother. You okay? Yes. Oh, yeah. Thank God. Uh, better than I deserve, as they say. All right. And, uh, just want to say shalom to you, Mitch, and shalom to everyone who's, uh, who's listening along. Wonderful. And I know that we're very interested in talking about this third aspect of the Abrahamic Covenant. Part one is that the Jewish people would actually become a people. Then, uh, secondly, uh, that he would have a land and that the descendants would pass that land down. And then, third, the promise of a king. This has more to do with the promise of the Jewish people eventually having the relationship with God that God always wanted the Jewish people to have and what the Jewish people always wanted to have, although they may not know it. And so we're going to look at that today as well. But I thought we'd begin by thinking again about our key verse, Romans 1.16, the priority of Jewish evangelism. The Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the dunamis actually is the Greek word, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we established some weeks ago that this entire verse is in the present tense. It all falls and rises on the Greek word proton, proton, which means first. And in the uh, various sources that uh, preachers would look through, some commentaries and, and Greek lexicons and so on, there are a number of different ways that the Greek word proton or sometimes protos can be used. Well, there are two major ways that we understand this Greek word. It either is sequential, one, two, three, four, but I do believe it speaks to a priority. And it's very pertinent to what we're talking about today because you need to look at Matthew chapter 6, 33 to really get the full gist of what the apostles say. But this is Jesus. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Forgive my King James. That's how I memorized it. <laughs> so seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, if it was sequential, it would mean I can't look for a house, a job, a husband or a wife. I can't look for uh, my missing keys, which, which happens at times. The kingdom of God must be a priority in each of our lives. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. 
So Romans 1.16 and Matthew 6.33 are twin sisters. Uh, we seek first the kingdom of God, we make it a priority in our lives, and we find ways to make Jewish evangelism a priority in our lives. And this, of course, brings us to this whole idea of the king. So God promised Abram that the Jewish people would have would indeed be a people, they would have a land, and that they would have a relationship with the king, a relationship with the king. It's God's will that the Jewish people also make the kingdom of God a priority in their lives. And that's a very important part of this process. And so, Bobby, maybe take a couple of moments, talk to us about who is the king and what was the king's role in Israel, and then in what ways does this human role as a king point to the one eternal, omnipotent king of the universe. There's a few things that we can learn based on what we read in the New Testament. One is that this kingdom of God, it's growing, it's 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 expanding, right? And, and this is part of what we see in uh, Matthew 13, the very center of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus, Yeshua, just goes on and communicates seven parables. And that, that's it. He just speaks in parables in the entire chapter. And at the heart of it is this theme of the kingdom. He's revealing what Matthew says are the mysteries of the kingdom. And one of those big things is that it is growing. It's it's expanding, right? Like a little bit of leaven that expands and grows. Another thing that we learn is that God will vindicate the good fruit when he comes. In other words, we as believers in Yeshua, we are part of the growth of the kingdom of God. And in the end, God will reward those who have been faithful in spreading his kingdom and to those who have been faithful in reaching the Jewish people, because this is the heart of it. We've been tasked at the end of Matthew with going out, being sent out into all the world, all the nations, Israel included, to proclaim the good news, to proclaim the gospel message that changes lives. And the message that we're bringing is the message of the kingdom. And you cannot have a kingdom without the king. Right. And this plan of God that is unfolding now, it'll find its fullness, according to the word, it'll find its fullness when the Jewish people, when Israel acknowledges and accepts her true king, Yeshua. Absolutely. In Zechariah chapter 12, 10, when the clock is ticking at about one minute to 12 uh, in terms of the second coming of Jesus, and... Uh, the nations are gathered against Jerusalem to destroy the Jewish people. The scripture says that they will look unto me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only begotten son. And so you have this, what's being described in Romans eleven twenty five and through the end of the chapter, prophetically described in Zechariah twelve ten, which is hundreds of years before Romans 11. But this sort of a, a pathway at the end of Zechariah. So the Jewish people turn, and then there's a little bit more warfare going on. And then in chapter 14 of Zechariah, I think verses 2 and 3, it says that his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two. So Jesus returns. The Jewish people call out to him. He returns. He conquers the enemies of Israel. And then if you keep reading to the end of chapter 14, you see that he's established on the Davidic throne. The Gentile nations are called to join him in Jerusalem, particularly on the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And, you know, the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, always speaks of the regathering of the harvest. And here you have the total gathering of the harvest, Jews and Gentiles coming under the banner and lordship of Christ. And there's one thing that's absolutely clear in that chapter, and it's stated over and over, his name will be one, and that he will be the king. It's just all over the chapter. So what we see is that finally, finally, at the second coming, Jewish people turn to Jesus and they recognize him as their king. And that sort of brings the whole prophecy and the whole covenant home. It's all fulfilled, beautifully fulfilled. In that day, when the Jewish people accept Yeshua, Jesus, as the true king of Israel, then, beginning with the Abrahamic covenant, that's when they all come to pass. He would be a prophet, priest, and king. There's something else that happens when the Jewish people turn to Jesus. In Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39, we see Jesus pretty much excoriating the Jewish unbelieving leaders, tells them that he's going to leave and that he won't return until the Jewish people cry out, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's recited at a Jewish wedding. I've recited it many, many different times. So not only will the Jewish people recognize that Jesus is king, they'll also recognize that they are his true bride and he is the true bridegroom. So the promise of the king is really the promise of relationship and that the Jewish people will admit that he's their true bridegroom and the Jewish people will admit that he's their true king and submit to him as king. And that's going to be... Uh, an indescribably beautiful day. At Chosen People Ministries, our desire is to share the good news of Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, with Jewish people in ways that are challenging, creative, and compelling. We can only accomplish this mission with the partnership, prayers, and financial support of listeners like you who have the desire and a passion to reach out to Jewish people all over the country and enrich their lives with a message of hope and salvation. If that's you, please connect with us online. You'll find us at chosenpeople.com radio, or you can connect with us through the mail or over the phone. For those details and more, visit chosenpeople.com radio. Your partnership helps us continue the mission we started over 127 years ago. And for that, we say thank you. And we look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. So, Mitch, we're about to hear from Brooke Allsbrook, a Jewish woman who never thought much about Jesus. But then she had a dream that changed everything. Brooke and her husband, Aaron, are messianic leaders. Actually, Aaron is a messianic congregational leader. You're going you're gonna to just really love this testimony. So welcome, Brooke Allsbrook. I used to believe that Jesus was a Catholic God or God of the Gentiles. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's like as a Jewish person, you could believe in anything else but Jesus. The minute you say Jesus, it's like, shame on you. Here we go, another Jew for Jesus. And that wasn't what happened with me. I experienced God in a very deep, profound way. Being raised Jewish in my house, my whole life, 
I felt that if I ever wanted to really know God, um, I had access to Him as a Jewish person. We're the chosen ones. And if I wanted that relationship, I could, because I identified being Jewish with knowing God. I'm 26 years old, living in Manhattan. I found myself in a very hard situation, just emotionally downward spiral, where I lost my self-esteem, was completely broken, like completely destroyed. And at the time, my best friend Jamie, she showed me more love than anyone um, during that time period, and she was sharing with me uh, her own faith walk, and she would talk to me about Jesus. And I was always like, James, I love you. I love you so much. <laughs> you know, Jews don't believe in Jesus, and <laughs> I'm never converting. I had a very supernatural dream and I had a, a death experience in my dream. So I died in my dream. There was this giant ball of fire that came out of the sky and spread like wildfire and completely burned me alive, consumed me, and lifted me into heaven. I felt the layers of my life kind of lifting off of me like feathers and I convulsed in my sleep. I remember shaking profusely, like just as if I was dying, as if I really was physically dying. And I was lifted into heaven. Beautiful, glorified, happy people that were kind of like rubbing oil on themselves and they were all crowned and they um, were very happy. Heaven stretched across the entire skyline and you could see mansions with just open-ended archways with the most ornate, beautiful, majestic uh, details, uh, like, like in a movie or a magazine. I could really feel the presence of a king. I could feel this, this weightiness, this heavy heaviness. I turned my head and looking through one of the archways, all the clouds came together to form the face of God. Jewish people and Gentiles kind of share the same God. Not just that God is for Jewish people, but that he is for the entire human race. I, I knew instinctively in the deepest part of my understanding of myself uh, that that image was the reflection of the God that I had always identified with as being Jewish. I'm receiving it in a Jewish context because that's the only thing I have to compare it to. That reflection was Jesus. Suddenly, I'm faced with this reality that I had always believed to be true, which, which is a lie, that, that Jews worship one God and Gentiles and the rest of the world worship this other God. And it was just God himself revealing himself to me in the deepest, most inner part of my heart. No words had to be spoken. It was, it was just there. 
I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's like as a Jewish person, you could believe in anything else but Jesus. The minute you say Jesus, it's like, shame on you. I felt very shameful uh, about my belief in Jesus, and yet I was really being touched in a way that I'd never been touched before. And it was kind of like dying to self. It was physically painful. I received so much healing and so much life within me. I'm, I'm not talking about things that make you happy or things that make me, you know, feel content and grateful. I'm talking about real deep, hidden joy in the core of your being that when you go to sleep at night, you know wholeheartedly that you are exactly where you're supposed to be and that God has you. He's got your back. And that's how I feel. Well, we've been talking a lot, Bobby, about the priority of Jewish evangelism and praying for our Jewish friends and sharing the gospel with our Jewish friends and trying today to introduce Jewish people to the one true King of Israel, Jesus the Messiah. So on a very practical level, you know, you're sharing the gospel with Jewish people all the time. What can we tell our radio audience, at least maybe give some principles or some strategies on how to reach their Jewish friends today for the Lord and for the King of Israel? You know, Mitch, when I think about evangelism, one thing that's really helped me since I've served with Chosen People Ministries and bringing the gospel to the Jewish people is uh, approaching evangelism like farming rather than sales. Now, I'm from New Jersey, and I live in Brooklyn, and I have zero firsthand experience with farming at all. This is just what I've read in books and, uh, and you know, seen YouTube videos on. Uh, but when we think about evangelism as farming rather than sales, we have to understand that it's a process, and there's many sort of stages in that process. And it's not like sales. We're not just going out there to make a sales pitch to get someone to pray the prayer, to close the deal so that they can, you know, start sitting in the pews and start tithing, right? Right. It's more like farming. And if we think about farming in the land of Israel in particular, there's a whole sort of process to it. And it begins with a commitment, a commitment by the farmer to come to a field that is barren and bring that field to a place where it's actually bearing fruit. And it's the same thing with evangelism. We have to make the commitment to put in the hard work and, and do it all with love and, and great care. So what the farmer will do, once they've made the commitment, they'll go through and they'll begin removing all the surface stones from the soil. They'll put them all to the side. And if we think about evangelism, it's sort of the same thing. Everybody that we encounter, they have some kind of stones on the surface that are hindering them from receiving gospel seeds. Right? So when we think about it in terms of Jewish evangelism, some of these surface stones could be sort of typical objections that a Jewish person might have. They might say, well, I'm not going to believe in Jesus because I'm Jewish. So we come and we, again, with care and love and understanding, we do our best to remove that stone and say, well, I have good news for you. Jesus was Jewish. And I know many Jewish people who do believe in Jesus, and there's, there's always been this remnant of Jewish people who have believed in Jesus. So we do our best to remove that stone. Now, once the, the surface is cleared, we can really begin to dig deep uh, and remove the deep-seated stones. 
So the farmer will go and he'll till the soil and those deep-seated stones will come to the surface. These are the deeper issues that people have. And how do we think we'll have access to those deeper stones? Well, I'm glad you asked. It requires relationship, a very meaningful and real relationship. Now, some of these deep-seated stones can be very heavy. The deep hurts or pains or trauma or, or, or even ideologies or, or thoughts. For example, a Jewish person might say, well, I can't believe in Jesus because a man cannot become God, right? So we do our best to, with love and care and precision, remove that stone and put it to the side and walk a person through biblical texts that show that uh, a man did not become God, but God became man. God put on flesh and dwelt among us. So it's a process. And, and while we're doing this, as we're working the soil, we're, we're throwing seeds out. We're, we're sharing the truth. We're sharing the Word of God. And we may get to the point where uh, the soil is ready and, and we invite this person to a service or to a Bible study and feel free to offer to study the Scriptures with a Jewish person that you might know. The Holy Spirit is doing the work and we begin to see a little sprout come up from the soil. We see signs of life. And it gets to the point where that person is ready to cross the threshold from uh, being dead in their trespasses to now being alive, born again, in and through the Messiah. We are all in this together, all believers. We're all brothers and sisters. And each of us have a, a role to play in the lives of many different fields that are out there. And we may enter into a person's life, and it may be our job just to remove one surface stone. We may come to another person's life, and it may be a little bit deeper. We may be the one that God uses to just deal with some of the deep-seated stones. We may just be someone who plants seeds on soil that 50 other believers over the course of 25 years have done all of the legwork leading up to that point. And we may come to another person where we have the privilege to help them cross that threshold in accepting Jesus as their Messiah. So. The bottom line in all of this is that we have been tasked, we have been gifted, we have been called by God to uh, be the ones to do this work, to be busy about our Father's business working in the fields. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. It's our desire to continue the Apostle Paul's mandate from Romans 1.16 to reach the Jewish people first, and we'd love for you to prayerfully consider how you can partner with us this coming year. When you connect with us today, we'll send you a copy of Mitch's booklet, God's Plan and Purposes for the Jewish People, that complements this month's study. We'd love to send you the booklet free of charge. Again, free of charge. And when you call us, at 8882-YESHUA, Y-E-S-H-U-A, we'll send it right off to you. That number again is 888-293-7482. Or you can also request a copy online. Visit us at chosenpeople.com slash offer. That's chosenpeople.com slash offer. We'd love to connect with you and send this resource to you so that you can share it with the Jewish people you love, care about, and pray for in your area. Bobby, I think you're going to tell everybody where our headquarters is, huh? Yes, absolutely. New York City. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, just so you know, you can also write to us at Chosen People Ministries, 
241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. If you'd like more information about the Bible Institute that's launching in just a few weeks, go to chosenpeople.com radio. And now to close us with the ironic benediction, here's Dr. Michael Rydelnik and Dr. Mitch Glazer once again. Yivarechacha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yaseim lecha Shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.